honestly, I actually don't think I've ever told anybody and we're a thousand thirty one episodes in. I've never told anyone about this business enterprise. <laughs> and when I think back, there were plenty of other things. I used to buy and sell number plates. I was trying to get the business thing going before I knew what my business would actually be. This is James Schramko. James Schramko, you welcome back to my podcast. And what an interesting topic we have today. We're talking about stickers, and I honestly never thought I'd be saying those words on this podcast. Welcome, Mim Jenkinson. It's uh, fantastic to have you here. Thank you, James. It's so funny because I never expected to be talking about stickers in any way either. So here we are, and I'm really excited to see where this goes. I imagine most people, when you say, oh, I'm into stickers, they say you're into what? I mean, my recollection of, well, my experience with stickers so far is I got stickers when I was a kid and stuck them all over things you shouldn't stick them on and caused havoc for my parents. Like, uh, especially when we moved house, it was all over the back of my door. (laughs) In my surf brand, we had some stickers made and people often Mm -hmm. email us saying, can you send us some stickers? And I put stickers in my kids' shoes and, you know, things that they take, lunch boxes, et cetera. So that's my whole sort of experience with stickers until <laughs> I met you and I discovered, lo and behold, there is an entire world out there for people who are into stickers. Mm-hmm. Could you just give us a little bit of an <laughs> overview into the sticker world, just for anyone who's not already a complete sticker fanatic? I will. And I think they'll soon discover that they actually are. They may have been just forgotten because when you think about when you were a child and you used stickers, It wasn't even the like putting the stickers on the thing or how it made you feel afterwards. It's how it made you feel at the time or when you were choosing the stickers or that buzz that you got. And it it feels so trivial to talk about stickers in so many ways. But honestly, it goes way beyond why we're even using the stickers. So I got started. I guess I'll give a bit of a a snapshot of how things started because this absolutely wasn't where I thought I would end up certainly in my own business. But back in the end of 2015, as you know, James, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and thankfully all is really well now. But at the time I was undergoing chemo. I had to leave my quite well-paid consulting job. I'd had years and years in recruitment, HR and events, and I had to leave to go through this chemo and radiation regimen, which was really tough. I had a six-month-old and a two-year-old and a husband. We'd just arrived in Newcastle in Australia. And when you think you've got your whole life ahead of you, that's exactly where we were. Um, have this diagnosis and I just wanted something to do to take my mind off things. I wanted something just for me, a creative outlet. So I'd started using stickers in my planner and that was something that I was really, really enjoying, but always wondered how people actually made them, had no words to give to what I wanted to learn. I wanted to know how they peeled them off individually, all the things. So I decided to teach myself how to make stickers and then in an absolute nutshell, taught myself how to make stickers started using them myself, decided to see how they went selling them on Etsy. They picked up quite quickly, actually. And before I knew it, I was posting stickers to customers all over the world. Those customers started asking me how I was making the stickers. So I put together an online course to be able to teach them. Then they started asking me how I was selling them. So I expanded my online course to be able to teach them how to start their own sticker empire too. And now eight years on, I think it is, I now have a huge business. I've taught and coached over 10,000 people worldwide how to make their own stickers. Many have gone on to set up their own sticker shop empire. And here we are. I never thought that I would be here from where things started. But now I get to experience that, that joy that I mentioned before of stickers in my life and in their lives and the people that they reach every single day. Isn't that interesting? Now, I've got a couple of questions around that. Firstly, I'm relieved to hear that things are well on the health front because Often it takes something like that to reassess where you're at in life 
and to experience gratitude and joy for when things aren't bad. Mm-hmm. It's good also if we can somehow experience that secondhand and not have to go through it ourselves and get that joy and experience. And it sounds like probably you're helping some people with your products who are finding this joy or perhaps reconnecting with what it was like as a kid. Most of us enjoy stickers as a kid. I see the kids at the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu place. They ask for stickers and Mm. uh, they happily put them. Lucy has put uh, BJJ stickers all over her little kitchen in her bedroom, <laughs> which is... I love that. You know that my husband is a is a brown belt now in BJJ and the yeah. kids do it too, so I can imagine that all together. She just got another stripe the other day. She's, she's graduating oh, through the oh. levels and, and uh, when no. they do sparring, it fascinates me to see a four-year-old just taking <laughs> down, just immediately taking down another kid and, and then uh, I just think, I wish I had that experience as a kid. So mm-hmm. any parents out there, this is such a good reasonably low impact sport compared to a lot of things but just learning about your body and building up the strength so anyway I digress probably helping people connect back with what it was like as a kid that fun thing Mm. but for you this is something I've often thought about with my surfing niche is does making it into a business take away some of the joy or fun that you had as a consumer I think that it can for me and for my audience if I'm not very conscious of that occasionally happening because as a salesperson, as a business owner, we can get a bit too in the weeds about the results. And while the results are incredibly important, clearly, I know that at times if I'm not feeling that joy, joy is a word that I constantly come back to. And if I'm not feeling it, it's because I've moved a bit too far past it myself. And maybe I'm not infusing the creativity into the business that originally gave me the spark to do this. And maybe I'm no longer feeling the enthusiasm and the creativity for the results that I want others to get either. So that's a really quick reminder to snap me back. I know that feels a bit, um, it could feel a bit vague, but it's a true feeling that we have. And it goes beyond just the passion for what I want to do. It's the why I was doing it in the, in the first place. I really wanted that creative outlet and it's what I want to create for others too. And it, I say this all the time, it isn't about the stickers. It's about how the stickers make us feel. And it could be creativity, pride, calm, joy, so many different things. The byproduct of that is that we have a pretty planner or a pretty wherever we put in the stickers and we're organized, which is awesome too, you know? So it's a really great thing to be able to help us in so many different ways, but it always comes back to that feeling of inner joy that I want to create for me and for other people. One thing that I thought about just, um, From a commercial perspective, I imagine people probably think that you have to have a big printing shop Mm. to be able to print stickers. Is it possible for people to do this on a small scale? Absolutely. And in fact, even on a large scale from home, it's possible. So when I first got started, so I've got one of my cutting machines behind me here and I have another one right next to me. So um, a cutting machine such as a Cricut or a Silhouette, they're a couple of the popular ones Um, during covid Everyone and their dog got themselves a cutting machine to do something from home. And it's really simple. It literally is a case of the tools that you need would be a computer with a reasonable internet connection or a laptop, a cutting machine. I mean, you can cut stickers yourself with scissors or a craft knife, some decent sticker paper, you know, an an okay printer. Like it actually is a really affordable, quite a low barrier of entry to make your own stickers and to start selling them online. I mean, Etsy is a marketplace where people are flocking to Etsy every single day to buy things like stickers. And I was printing them and sending them to customers globally. It was the most fun for a few years until I moved it to be a 100% digital product business. So now I create the file. So I get, I still get to experience the joy of designing the stickers, but I'll provide my customers because I still sell them now. 
the files, they just print and cut them at home. So it's super simple, super fun, pretty much as passive as you can get. I know that that will get people's knickers in a twist if I say the word passive, but doesn't offend me. <laughs> so yeah, it's really fun. And it means that it's such a, it's a business opportunity that so many people can either create for themselves as a side hustle or a full business, or just add it as a new income stream to a business that they already have. So it turns it from more or less a you go from an e-commerce business with physical stock to being an information product business. Mm, definitely. That's exactly how things have happened for me. So I was thinking before that if you had to have a big shop, then it would have been too hard to compete. If everyone can do it, that's probably really hard for the big shops. Maybe they've been sort of encroached by all these at-home operators now. hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Savage. So... I wish I'd known you many, many years ago. One of my original failed business ideas was stickers. You won't believe this, but... No, it wasn't. (laughs) In Australia, they have warnings on cigarette packets. And when I was very young, there was uh, a bit of a trend where people would come up with funny versions of them that they would stick over the official label. Because, like, they don't want to see a lung cancer picture or whatever on their cigarette. Oh, the teeth. So people were selling stickers that you peel off and stick over the original one to make it funny or entertaining. And so for one print run, we had some designed and printed by a proper printer. We drove out the Western Sydney and had these printed off. And then we, we bought some bags and we put them on the little bags and then we tried to sell them. That's where we came unstuck. We just found it really hard to get people to buy these things. Yeah. But it was a, it was a great idea. It did involve stickers. Didn't work. It was a one print run and done thing. <laughs> So I've now I know where to go if I want to learn about the stickers. That's so fun. I'm so glad that you did that though. That's hilarious. I can't. I think it's really funny that you've waited until now to tell me that. I have no. Honestly, I actually don't think I've ever told anybody. And we're a thousand and thirty-one episodes in. I've never told anyone about this business enterprise. (laughs) And when I think back, there were plenty of other things I used to buy and sell number plates. I was trying to get the business thing going before I knew what my business would actually be. Yeah. But I think what you're providing is, hey, if someone either doesn't know stickers is their thing or you know that stickers is your thing, you've got the central source of, hey, this is how you do it. This is how you sell them. I've probably bought stickers from one of your students. I hope because, so. Yeah, the ones yeah. that we do for, you know, they're on Etsy and stuff. I'm sure that's Absolutely. where they come from. So you are contributing a lot of value to society, even through kindergartens and preschools all around the world. I appreciate that. Oh, I love that. I love the ripple effect. And, you know, the stickers, and maybe this is where your venture went wrong with yours, they need to solve a problem. Like they do solve a problem, don't they? And I mean, I know at the point where I walk around and think there should be a sticker for that and that like it's it's impossible to not put a sticker on anything. And this is one of the things that I coach my students on, you know, how is it solving a problem or how can you identify an issue, a challenge, a problem that a potential customer might have? How might something as simple as a tiny sticker solve that issue for them or help them start a habit, stick to a habit, stop a habit? You know, whatever the thing is that they really need help with, it can become an addiction pretty fast that you just are overflowing with ideas. So this is where we can stand out, though, because there are so many stickers online. Etsy is certainly flooded with them. But how can ours stand out by truly helping people? Well, on that note, Mim, I've had a unique window into your world since you came on board and, you know, we've done some work together. You've, you've been mm. Silver Circle, you're in the mentor program and I get to see the real you. We chat pretty much every week. Mm-hmm. I even asked you to fill in for my mastermind when I was in the Maldives because I trust your advice. You have been in lots of groups 
you've built your own business very successfully. You're a steady hand on the rudder. And everyone uh, gave great feedback, by the way. So that's, by the way, that's the only time ever since I started my program that I've asked someone else to do that. And that took 13 years, 12 years at the time. So, you know, that's big praise on, Thank you. on your capability. <laughs> but what I, I, there's so many things I like about you. I, I wonder if it's okay to share a couple of things to sort of highlight what I think helps someone be successful. Mm. One is you always show up. And that's something I, I really can rely on you showing up and being hungry for that next stage. I think that's a great attribute that serves you well. Two is you're okay to mix and match and dabble in different sources of information. You don't have to lock in with one player for the whole run. It's good to do that and to have the loyalty, mm. but also you're not limited. And you're also working, I imagine, with coaches or people who don't mind if you have other information, like they're not jealous or whatever. And I, I love that relationship that we have, that I'm happy to work with anything you bring to the table, wherever that comes from. And the other thing is you implement. I do. I do implement every day. You are a <laughs> massive implementer. Um, and that's really where the rubber meets the road, right? Mm. You can have all these great ideas. You can get the information. You can show up. But if you just listen and take it all in but don't do anything, nothing happens. Now, I think I saw a dramatic thing happen in your life, and if you're comfortable to share it, and that was in the early days of the business, I imagine your husband, Miles, was working, Mm. and then you were recovering and then starting this thing. Mm. That was the starting point, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. And we, so Miles had to leave work while I was going through treatment to look after the kids and me. And that was the first time ever that Miles really took the reins, I think, had to, because I've always been the one to, um, I guess I'm in charge of a lot of things financially, running the home, um, always was the main breadwinner. Miles was a carpenter for years and I was always the one, I guess, like I said, in charge. So he really had to take over that role and he just, I can't even describe the gratitude I have for him and for our relationship and how he, he did do that. Um, And during the business, he supported me from day one. There was never a question from him as to whether I was doing the right thing. We literally lost everything. When you hear people say they lost everything, we did. We lost every single cent we had. And we had a lot of money saved up at that point to be able to put down as a deposit for our forever home. It felt like it left the bank account overnight. So we were starting from scratch. Now, thankfully, my parents moved in with us. So we had at least someone to pay for the rent and to help us in that way or who knows where we would have been. But it was a really difficult time. And it was difficult for the first few years, honestly. There was a lot of, you know, the working evenings and weekends and Miles really taking, still kind of taking charge of many things that he hadn't before. And I always knew in my heart that it would be a success. And he always knew that the business would be a success because of me. So it was great to have that support. And when things did start to take off, my goal then became, how can I find a way to be able to give back to him for what he's given to me? And how can I try and, you know, get back to me being the the major breadwinner again, but really in a super sustainable way. And another thing that I've always had is a huge goal, which I guess comes from having this life-changing experience where your life flashes before your eyes and it can be taken away from you. I've just really worked on putting things in place to be able to provide for Miles and my kids, even if I'm no longer here or if I'm not in a position to be able to do what I'm doing now. So they've been the drivers for me. And as you know, We've spoken before about the fact that I've, you know, I've got friends and we all know, I know a lot of people who are very lucky to have partners who subsidize their business. I've never had that. 
I haven't, you know, Miles has never been in a position where he could afford to carry our household expenses. It's always felt like it's very much on my shoulders to, to at least contribute equally. So when I became in a position where my business was earning more and more and I was able to give back, James knows this, I made it a goal to give back to Miles and I started saving in secret to buy him a car. So we went to, we bought him a car, we bought him a brand new Hilux that was his pride and joy for years. He'd had these crappy beat up old cars and utes that were just death traps, honestly, because that's all, all we could afford. So he bought himself a, a ute, he put it on finance and it just became my mission to pay off. So I called Toyota and explained this to them and they worked with me to be able to make overpayments. Um, I made it the goal of his birthday to be able to let him know I'd paid off his car and it was done. And that happened. So James, you knew that I was doing this every single month, paying off a bit more and a big chunk here and a small chunk there. And just the day that I told him, we had the kids in the back of the car. He'd gone to get something from the house. I think we're away, actually. And I said to the kids, I've paid off daddy's car. Like I'm going to tell him on his, it's his birthday present. I actually stuck a bow on the steering wheel. And when he got in, he was just, he was like, what, what's this about? I didn't, and he didn't understand. But as soon as he clicked and I told him what had happened, like my brown belt, mass, you know, oh, super masculine hero of a husband just started crying, which set me off and the kids. And it was just the best, the best experience ever. So things like that have always been my mission and, and continue to be so. I love being in on that during the, the process. And I got an experience from that too. If I'm working with you and you're getting those results, I feel that. Mm-hmm. I can feel that the emotion. And he now works in your business as well, right, together. He does. He does. So that was the next goal. The next goal was how can we retire him from carpentry? He isn't retired altogether. Now he works for me. It gives him, and he doesn't work for me full time. So he's now like in a part-time capacity as a designer for me. You know, James, he was an artist and a hand-drawn illustrator and animator for Disney for 10 years. He's illustrated one of the Duchess of York's books and she's commissioned him for more. Like he's an exceptional artist and his skills were, I guess they were being wasted in carpentry. But also, you know, he's in his 40s, he's cracking on. And it was, we we just want to protect our health as much as possible now and plan for the future. So he's working for me, designing. And he's also become, I guess, the, I don't know whether people like the word house husband. We jokingly use it between us, but he does more around the house. He does a lot of the kids stuff too. He gets to spend so much more time with me and so much more time with them. And it's an absolute blessing to be able to do this. And it's been something that we've been planning for the last few years. But just with your help, James, took the leap earlier this year and had a plan to be able to make it work and sustainable and to, I guess, have a a backup plan should it not work. And it wasn't a if it doesn't work financially, it was a, you know, if if we hate this, what will we do about it? If because our relationship is more important than the other things. So so far so good. That's amazing. Look, I can totally relate to this. My wife and I spend every day together. I'm a home dad uh, who happens to have a podcast and coach a few people a couple of hours a week here and there. (laughs) And I love that lifestyle. That lifestyle is possible now with the leverage. Something I think is really important. Your husband, Miles, has amazing graphic design skills, Mm. illustration skills, etc. You're in the sticker business. Mm. And what we've seen in the last year is people with no design skills but are getting sort of fancy with AI, starting to whip up images and so forth. And we've had conversations about this and I love your stance on this. Mm. You've said to me, what about AI? Well, I, um, first of all, haven't drawn my line in the sand entirely with this. I don't think anyone should. 
And actually, my beliefs about this change every day, the more I learn from others and the more stories I hear from others' experiences. For me personally, I wouldn't be using AI to create any graphics that I was selling because I don't feel confident in knowing where the source of those graphics are. And I do think that there's legitimacy to what artists are concerned about in that it's taking their art in almost like a mashup of their art and other people's and coming up with something new, which obviously is the same when we use chat GPT to write any kind of content at all. It's doing the same with words, which is also a little bit of a concern, although it it isn't. I feel more strongly about the artists because of knowing so many and, and Miles being my husband. There's a lot of talk about that not being the case. However, I also have heard many stories now about people creating artwork with AI where you can see watermarks and it'll say things like Getty Images or other watermarks on there. So that is pretty self-explanatory what's happened there. And to me, it isn't worth the risk. And especially when I think there is so much digital art created by actual artists online that's available to sell at a really affordable, really affordable rate for a commercial license. Why take the risk of using AI for that right now? So that's where my current day opinion is on it. It's definitely subject to change. And I think that AI will certainly change anyway. I don't. We, we know that what we're faced with now isn't going to be the same in a week's time, let alone a year's time. That's one of the things that concerns me, though. The other thing is that a lot of the AI content that's coming out graphics wise is crap. You know, you'll see images of birds that have two sets of wings or people with fingers missing or eyes that are not you know, connected. Like it, there's, there's just so much when you, it doesn't take an artist to spot the difference. Anyone can actually do that. So, you know, that's an issue too. But I, so I'm kind, I guess I'm kind of on the fence, but that's where my opinion of it is at the minute. How about you? Look, I see people, uh, especially marketers selling stuff like, hey, this video was entirely made by AI. It was scripted mm-hmm. by AI. It's uh, AI voice and it's my AI image. I'm not here. This is uh, this is the max headroom for any of the older kids in the room. Uh, is here now, but it's shit. It's not real. It's it's inauthentic. Mm. I really detest the way the marketers have just grabbed up these shovels and they're selling them to the gold diggers and they're making it all around to make money. These are the same people that were selling cryptocurrencies last year yeah. or the year before it crashed and they were selling high ticket the year before that and they were doing whatever. I don't know. I'm a long-term player. You know what I think I would bet on? I would bet on humans. The fact that you and I can have a proper human conversation with real emotions, life stories that have happened Mm -hmm. is irreplaceable. I think so. And just like if you had someone come to your house and deliver organic milk from the farm that's not been messed with or treated or sprayed and all of that, that's really valuable now. Mm, I I completely agree. And I think that I, I was talking to Miles about this last night when we were, we're having a conversation about the friendships that we have. And in our, we're in our 40s now, in our mid-40s, and I actually don't want a surface-level relationship with anybody. And an AI chatbot is a surface-level relationship now. I love AI. I've embraced it for so many things. I'm definitely not on the anti-AI side of the fence in any way. But I, I do think there's a time and a place for it, and there's a time and a place not for that either. For example, we were talking about, you know, we work together. And what I like about our relationship is that you're not only interested in my business and my results, but also in me also in my life outside of my business and outside of me sat at my desk and these four walls. And you're interested in Miles and the kids and how it all works together. And that's far beyond a surface level relationship. So I don't need a quick answer from you. I mean, maybe occasionally I would do, but that's not why we're working together. 
it's the holistic approach to how I can have a better life and how you can steer me in that direction. So if I'd purchased a course from you and maybe there's an AI function for me to be able to get a quick answer by searching within the course, amazing. I think that's awesome. Anything that can make our lives quicker in that way is perfect. But I'm not really interested at this point in having a surface level relationship with anyone in this respect. So really open to what happens in the future. Um, I do think it's one of those things where it's a never say never. But right for where I am right now, that isn't what I'm looking for. I think a really good example with us is you and I work together using AI to get the things that we need. Remember you were asking me about product lines and model mixes, et cetera. And I said, hey, you know, let's build a spreadsheet. Let's anonymize it. Very important step. Mm. And I asked for permission first. I said, this is what I suggest we do, but I want you to say if this is okay or not. We, We get the data. We anonymize it because once it goes up there, it's they own it, right? Mm-hmm. And by the way, Zoom have put in their terms and conditions, and I need to check this, that anything we do on these calls can be loaded up to AI and used for whatever reason, right? Which mm-hmm. is something I'm very concerned about. But we upload it and then we get the AI working hard on processing that information and giving us outputs. But then it takes an actual human to say, is this good or bad output? Mm. Is this what we want or not? Does this steer us in the right direction? So I love our relationship that we've had working together through the different stages of your business. I've watched you grow. I remember the first interaction with you because it was significant. And that was when I was traveling. I think it was traveling up to Crescent Head at the time. And I stayed overnight in the Hunter Valley in a tiny home. (laughs) And I posted a picture on social media and you said, I've always wondered what a tiny home looks like inside any chance of a little video tour. And I did a little video tour and I sent you this message. Like, I didn't know you at the time, but you were watching my social media profile. Yeah. And you got a uh, world exclusive <laughs> for one tiny home tour sent to your private message. But we started on a personal note and I think that's what makes it special. I can't imagine someone's going to get the same value from just typing answers into a bot. I mean, you're not going to get the same value when you pay 10K for a coaching program. So within someone who is a legit human. So (laughs) it's like the personal touch is always going to win me over for sure. Because like I say, I'm not interested in surface level anything. I don't have time for that. I'd rather have few people in my life as whether you say as people who I'm looking for for help with the business or advice or even in my personal life, I'd rather narrow that down and conmari everything else. So I can really go deep with people because, you know, I give a lot. I'm really generous with how much I want to offer to other people too. And I don't expect the same level of generosity back, but I do expect people to have an interest in me if we go, you know, if we're going to be in a relationship together in any way whatsoever. Well, that's come up before, hasn't it? Where you're over-servicing people or doing something Mm -hmm. because you feel a desire to serve. And and sometimes it takes that other person to say, well, yeah, come on, you've You've really given them a fair run now. It's time to make some changes, right? (laughs) Um, Let's just stack a few ideas together. You're in the sticker market. Mm -hmm. You can do it from home. You can make it an information business or you can print them off and do the Etsy thing or the e-commerce side of it. People are going to be curious uh, if they were to hear about our conversation and say, well, can you actually make any money with stickers? Is it a good Mm -hmm. business? Or do people feel sorry for you when you say, I do stickers? They're like, oh, that's okay. You'll be, you'll be okay one day. I get a lot of that. I get a lot of, oh, that's cute. That's nice. It doesn't help having a really high pitched voice. Like, that's sweet. That's lovely. And I'm like, yeah, 
It's amazing. And it's also multiple six figures a year. Like it's a really big business. <laughs> and, and then they'll take note and want to talk more. I, I think honestly, I didn't help myself in the beginning because I, I probably was like, well, there was no probably about it. I think I felt, not, I didn't feel embarrassed about what I did, but I think it did feel like I hadn't, well, I hadn't committed to it. I always thought the sticker stuff is amazing and I think it will always be part of what I'm doing, but surely it isn't the, the thing that I am here to do. There must be something bigger. If I'm going to stand on a hill, there must be something more substantial to talk about than this. And I realized, and it took a long time for me to realize how ungrateful that attitude was because not only had I transformed my life through this sticker business and my kids' lives and my husband's life, but also all of the lives that had changed around the world and I'd enabled people to find that creativity or that outlet or that new side hustle or whatever the thing was that was meaningful to them. And to dismiss that was so ungrateful. And as soon as I, and I had a coach who really shared her experience of this too and how she had done it. And I mean, we talk about stories a lot, but her story really made me reflect on my own. So I started to speak about it in much more, um, I guess with much more, you know, passion and gratitude and pride. Cause I am, I'm so proud of what I've achieved with this and the, just the amount of um, help I've been able to give to other people and the lifestyle that I've been able to create for me too. And I am absolutely ungrateful for it every day. I mean, in terms of making stickers and sales, I still do that now for a couple of reasons. Firstly, I really enjoy the creativity side and, you know, if ever I have time and I want to do something fun and creative, it's always sticker designing or making stickers for me. I just find it so fun. So the fact that I get to play with stickers every day and get paid to do that is amazing. So I still sell them and I still make a few thousand dollars at least every month in selling them myself. And I think it's really important when you're teaching something to still be in that mix yourself too. You know, I'm not teaching something that worked for me eight years ago. I'm teaching a process that works for me today. And I hope I'm always selling stickers because I really enjoy being able to, you know, have other people use my designs right now. I think, I mean, there are so many people in the Etsy space and beyond who are teaching processes and formulas and three-step plans that worked for them 10 years ago or when things were easier, when there was less competition, you know, and I, to me, that isn't authentic and it isn't helpful. So, I mean, I've had students who've absolutely overtaken my success, which is the goal for me because, well, it's always the goal, but I'm not, because my business isn't a full-time 100% business on making and selling stickers. In fact, my business really compared to other people's is probably part-time hours altogether. I want people to overtake my success. So there's some of them who literally only want to make enough money to subsidize their sticker buying habit. Whereas there are others who want it to be a part-time income to subsidize their life and their financial bills and others who want to make it a full-time business. And I'm here for all of them. Oh, that one, that one pierces the heart of it. <laughs> I know someone has a surf website to cover their surf purchase habits, mm. but it's, it's all, I mean, that's a legit reason uh, these days. You, yeah. you want to do something, set up a website share your experience, contribute, get paid some ads and put yeah. it back into the thing. That is a big tick in the joy department. <laughs> I, I love that. That's integrity there. How many hours a week are you putting into your business roughly on an average? Yeah, I've done a time audit recently, so I know exactly how many. Um, well, for that two-week period, generally it's between 15 and 25. It really varies per day. Most days I'm doing something weekdays. I used to, as I mentioned before, I used to work into like 7 p.m. in the evening. I actually can't do that anymore. I'm too tired and I certainly don't want to. And I used to work a lot in the weekends too in the uh, in the early few years. And I think that a lot of people do that for sure. I know people who do it now even. I stopped doing that as soon as I could stop. I did. 
And now I generally work between the hours of 9am and 3pm, but not solidly. So it could be that it's a couple of hours or five hours or a full day. But yeah, between like 15 to 25 hours, I think 20 is probably an average. And that's pretty good for me. I really enjoy it. And then anything extra, you know, I'm making stickers probably. (laughs) Just designing, drawing. Yeah. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. And in terms of course versus community or forum elements, do you have a balance of, of that? Do you want to share? Because for me, for example, I've found having a dynamic platform like this ongoing membership allows me to update playbooks. That sort of solves the problem of, hey, this worked for me eight years ago. I can put in this work for me last week or this is working for clients. Here's the step-by-step process that you can implement into your business. So that's been a really good innovation. How do you go updating courses or keeping people in a dynamic environment? Yeah, that's a a great question because unlike many digital product businesses that I'm aware of, there is very little live delivery from me, which is very intentional. And we've spoken about that before, the fact that I actually don't want a full calendar of calls or Zooms or anything like that. But at the same time, I do want to connect with my community. So typically, so I have courses and ebooks and other digital products. And I also have a membership that is just about to turn one year, one year anniversary, which is so exciting with over 500 members. And the way that I, I guess I update regularly because of the membership, like I'm always coming up every week with new content for that. The monthly deliverables um, are not especially high. They don't take very long for me to put together. But the way that I come up with those deliverables is by asking questions of my community. So what are they struggling with? What are they enjoying? What do they want more of? And it's constantly coming up with things that help them, which keeps things fresh for them. But it also keeps things really fun and fresh for me too. And the courses, I don't update too regularly, apart from the current one, my the main course, the Sticker Shop Plan, that's having going through a major revamp at the moment that we've been working on together, which is super exciting. So any live delivery that I do, I present as a bonus and it's a bonus for them and it's a bonus for me too, because one thing that I wouldn't want to ever do is overcommit and let people down. Like I, you know, I value my community so much. I value their time so much. In terms of the people I have in the community, it's busy people, busy parents, busy grandparents that, you know, they have many different competing things going on in their life. And I want to make sure that I am not constantly asking too much from them either. But I do a lot to get to know them and have a, a community group where I get to chat with people. I um, run, you know, that I run an online event twice a year, which is just the best time for me to really connect. And that's when I am doing the live delivery for a few days where I'm solidly <laughs> online and just love those events so much because I get to chat with people, whether it's face to face on Zoom or on a Facebook live. And I just have found that the relationships that I've gained over the years with people in my community has not just helped me help them, but it's really helped me too. You know, talking about going deep and not having a surface level relationship. Some people would be surprised how deep you can go with people when you're not doing constant live delivery. But it's all been intentional for me to be able to create this lifestyle where I'm contributing as much as I can, but at the same time, retaining the boundaries that make my life feel good too. Yeah, that's good. I know you love those um, events. Let's go. definitely going to ask you, where's the traffic coming from? Your, your favorite ways to get traffic to an information business? Yeah. 
this is I could talk about traffic and leads all day because it's well, the, we could listen for a little it's while. It's the most sure. it's the most fun. It's just the missing piece, isn't it, that people generally don't speak about. Lita, it's, it's, it's a question that does come up <laughs> every now and then in uh, in calls. You know, I've, I'm all good to go. My product's ready. I just need a couple yeah. more leads or a Where few more people? buyers. <laughs> How does Mim get traffic to to? And by the way, yeah. please mention the website because I don't think it's properly come out yet, and we need to make sure we reference that. If if someone didn't know they were a sticker fanatic, or they know they're a sticker fanatic, where are they going to go <laughs> and check this out? It's mimjenkinson.com. And you know, I have an issue in that I'm so passionate about what I do and how I help people that I can easily convince friends to start making stickers when I don't think it's a good thing for them to do. <laughs> so be aware that you might end up you might end up signing up. They'll be under the influence. They will. I'm, I am an influencer, as you know, and I find that it can be a challenge. <laughs> but I like the question that I ask myself every single week, sometimes every day, is where will I find new customers today? And that is not coming from a place of desperation in any way. It's coming from a place of fun, inqu- feeling inquisitive, feeling creative, excitement, uh, having gone through the hard yards of sales back in the day in a really similar experience to the one you had. But whereas you were selling cars, I was in recruitment. But I literally, you were selling people. That's surely that's people, worse, right? Selling people. Well, cars at least you put it in one place, and if the hand breaks up, it isn't going anywhere. <laughs> like, people are a different ball game. The, the funny thing is, they'd occasionally go missing. That was that was like, where <laughs> does anyone know where that? Like, we had a few times in my career where we could not find a car worth a hundred something thousand dollars. Like, it's oh. got to be here somewhere, but we just couldn't find it. And then, like. Two weeks later, we remember that someone loaned it out to the boss's wife and, and no one went to go and collect it. And she's wondering, when's this going to stop? You know, like, it's scary. Oh, so, so similar, so similar. But even before that, I was selling office furniture. And then before that, kitchens, like literally, you know, with an index card box where you have two of them, one is full of blank empty cards and one is just empty. And the process was making them a client and moving them over to the other box, like, or going through the pages. I had a stack of papers on my desk. I had this huge yeah. stack like this big and I'd start at the top and I would just dial for dollars. I would just call every single person that came in yeah. and then put them at the bottom and then keep going. And then if they walked in, I'd have to ruffle through them and find them. And then like, <laughs> okay, this is where we're up to last time. Even worse, they come in and they start talking to someone else and I'd have to go, hang on, <laughs> they've been speaking to me. And they're like, oh, they didn't mention that. I'm like, they are mine. And, and sometimes they'd say, actually I did, but you said he wasn't here. Like that was uh, cutthroat. Oh, our, people used to hide CVs of people in recruitment in their drawers. We call it top drawing. They would hide it in their drawers. I would out them. Like it's <laughs> it's crazy. But it, you know, it, it was such a good grounding. I loved those days. I, I mean, I was always the, the top biller. Always, I loved the competition. Loved the people. Again, the people I was helping, and I had the highest number of referrals coming in. Like, just really enjoyed it. But all of that experience now. When it comes to transferring it to online business, I have no fear. The worst thing that people can do, well, one of the worst things is clearly saying no. It can get worse than that. You know, <laughs> I remember some of the abuse on the phone. Yeah. All right. Tell me, as, as someone who repossessed cars for a living, oh, uh, I, was, yeah. I was thrilled when I went back into the office because it didn't matter what I said on the phone. They couldn't punch me in the face over the phone. <laughs> Well, you can always put the phone down. And so I have no fear of the phone. Yeah, I'm not yeah. scared of the phone because, like, what's the worst that could happen? They hang up or they say something nasty. Exactly. So I have no fear about that. I have no fear. So 
traffic. So when it comes to traffic now, and it's really what haven't I tried and what don't I keep trying? And it's look, I, I mean, this is the thing when because I'm B two C mainly. Of course, many of my students are opening their own business, but they're typically not coming to me with an already with an established business. So it's kind of different in many ways, but it means that I can look at what's working in the B2B world and apply it to my world in many ways, or looking at entirely different niches and seeing how I can apply that creatively to mine. So in terms of um, where I started, when I got started, I'd already had experience as a blogger. I'd been blogging since 2013. So I had an audience. It was entirely irrelevant to what I was doing now. So I kind of was starting from scratch very much there, but at least I knew how to establish a brand, how to get started on social media. So I have a huge email list now. I have an, you know, an okay social following. Um, but now it's where, you know, the three top ways that we know obviously to get leads are the organic stuff, first of all. So it's what I'm doing with my current email list of, you know, keeping people really engaged. I love treating my email list, you know, keep wanting them to know what's happening next and involving them very much. So it feels like we're collaborating and um, doing things together. I also do a lot of paid advertising on Facebook and Instagram. I've dabbled a little bit with Google and YouTube too. Is that how you get them on the email list? It is one of the ways, one of the many ways. Um, I do a lot of collaborations with other people. So that would be inviting speakers to speak at my summit. And then, of course, when they share it with their audience and they might hop over to my event or to my email list too. It might be running a special campaign um, just for somebody else's audience. It might be um, being interviewed on one of their podcasts, going into their membership groups and speaking, um, my own podcast. There are so many. I will try everything. I've tried um, online advertising, offline advertising, radio ads, podcast ads, like literally all of it. And it's, it's just as a cycle. I have a huge list. In fact, if anyone wants that list, I can, I'll happily email it to them. I have a huge Google doc with a list of all of the different ways that you can find leads organically. Um, and of course, you can always add money to fuel those fires if any of them are working too. But there's no excuse to not be able to find traffic, leads, customers, people, if you know exactly who you're targeting, if you have the right messaging to really resonate with them. And if you're prepared to keep on going and keep on trying and testing new things and not fall flat and feel flat and deflated when the first two or three things don't work. Wow. It becomes fun. I think it's a game every week. That's a mic drop right there. It's like a gold nugget. <laughs> I uh, hope so. We'll definitely transcribe this episode into um, downloadable at episode 1031 because Mim just offered up the goods. I tell you what, it sounds like you've got the products there, you've got a great connection with your audience, you've got a good list, you've got traffic sources. What kind of challenges have you found along the way? Because it's not always straightforward, is it, this online business? Oh, it really isn't. I think that I'm certainly my biggest challenge um, and you have really helped me with this. You know all of the things that I want to do. And you also know how fast I could do all of those things too. Like I could literally write a new course today, put the sales page together, the checkout page, have all of the messaging done. I've interviewed three people and have a Facebook ads funnel set up. So to me, that's a walk in the park, but that isn't always going to help me and my mental health and certainly not the success of the business either. So we've worked together with refining my products and what I'm doing and just staying on track with what's working. And although it can appear on face value to be quite a simple thing, That's a real challenge for me to do. I wake up in the middle of the night with a pounding heart and excitement because of the next thing that I want to do. Because you're so creative. It's definitely a downside of the creativity. And the fact that I can implement and implement so quickly means that I really don't feel, I don't feel I have any barriers to doing anything. So you have helped me to put those barriers in place for sure. 
sometimes to lower them a little bit and just to have a, a test of something like I know when you're sitting back thinking this isn't the right thing but she seems determined so I'm going to let her and see what happens <laughs> well I, I have to find the balance between not yeah not like I'm not here to tell you what to do or to, to control you but I'm here to offer suggestions an analogy might be if you were to get so excited about a fireworks display and you just start firing them off everywhere you know like mm. versus if we could just build a really good firework that goes up and dazzles everyone like that might be a better goal sometimes so it's like <laughs> here are the range of options I always think of Peter Drucker's insights you know which is about doing the right things mm-hmm. that that should be the focus rather than doing things right the, the problem you have and it's a rare one actually is you could do a hundred things very quickly mm-hmm. and a lot of them will be quite right but it does diffuse your focus so like you, we're working with a 25 hour cap for the week yeah you still want to turn up at uh, school pickup or go out on date night with Miles, right? So th- there has to be some limitations. And then it like does. any good artist, if you constrain the boundaries, if you, you say like, okay, you're only allowed to use this canvas here and these paints, sometimes you're going to get a better result than if you just switch modalities and you're onto the next yeah. thing and stuff. It's so true. And it goes beyond me too, because I do, I love my audience so much. Like I love the people who I help. And I also know that if I keep on coming out with new things or a new twist on things or three different new things this week, it isn't fair to them either. Like what I'm trying to do, if I'm trying to bring joy and organization and peace and a better living experience to people who I care about, me constantly dangling new carrots in front of their face is an absolute disservice to them too. So while I'm all good with it myself, I know that they are not and nor should they be too. So I think it would be disrespectful and confusing for my audience if I was constantly coming out with something new. Does that make sense? Like I just don't think that it's fair. Totally. It's it's um, same with the way that I operate with my team. I could think of a hundred things that I'd love them to do, but I'm have to be responsible to deliver one at a time in an orderly mm-hmm. sequence because that's going to be effective. It's like a big powered engine in a car trying to accelerate too much. Mm-hmm. The wheels just spin and it's confusing. And I learned that lesson actually early on in my membership. We had a weekly training and then when I switched it to monthly, everyone just went, oh, thank goodness, <laughs> yeah. like, like I couldn't keep up. I was, I was I was actually seeing people leave because they felt like they weren't able to keep up the consumption and they weren't getting what they paid for or they weren't able to consume what they were paying for. It's like Mm -hmm. if you ordered milk delivery to your house but you got two litres every day and you only drink a cup and you'd you'd turn off the subscription because you're going to have a fridge full of milk and you're not getting through it. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you've got to um, respect, yeah, like you've got to respect the audience's ability Mm -hmm. to consume and take it in. It's like I'm going through a course at the moment of someone's in the – the modules are just two or three minutes each mm-hmm. and it's really easy to consume in little bite-sized pieces. So there's always that lesson. Mim, wow, what an extraordinary share for this episode 1031. I just want you to reflect on what do you think one of the biggest insights you've learned in the last few years running your business that you would like to share that could be really helpful if someone else was in the trenches on that journey right now? What's a piece of advice or something that you hold dear to your heart that's been helpful for you? Mm, The biggest thing comes back to me to testing and not being too slow to test and not being afraid and 
having the right goal for why you're testing or doing something in the first place. I think, and I'm extremely results focused. I always have been, but it's what results are we looking for? So when I put out a new offer or a new, any kind of new potential advertising method or promotion or the thing that I want to do next for my business, of course, the goal is sales. It always is. Everything that we do in our business is the goal is sales. So let's not always make that the goal for this particular thing. The goal to me is to gather data to test. So if I'm sending an email to 70,000 people, you know, and, and the goal is always to make so many sales, well, that isn't enough for me. Like I actually just want to gather data and I want to be only attached to the outcome of gathering the data so that I have that to assess. So I guess what that means for me is that I no longer feel hung up or like a failure when things don't particularly go the way I planned, because if my goal was to gather data, how can I do that incorrectly? And it just, just really, it's taken me out of that fear of things not working or sitting on things for too long. And it's become the biggest reason why I can implement so quickly, because that's been my switch in focus. So for me, if I, you know, if you told me or advised me or helped me make a decision to do something, it's why I can do that immediately. And today, because we come up with goals that are reasonable and the things that we want to do is to make better decisions for the next goal rather than always going off the final outcome of sales. I hope that helps. Oh, it's, it's, that is mega. And I don't think I've heard this one yet. So it's even better. If the goal is to gather data and it's your hypothesis basically, and then you run the test and you gather the data you've won because the test will either give you, it'll, it'll give you information that allows you to be in a better position to make a decision. Mm-hmm. And it's all we want to do, isn't it? We just want, it's a series of decision after decision. And most people like they're just swinging through the air trying to grab a vine and, and if they miss, then they consider that a failure, right? Mm-hmm. But if we were saying, well, the test is to see if we can grab a vine or not, then we will learn a yes or no answer and then it puts us in a better position to approach it in a different way or the, you know enhance it the same way but even better. I love this episode so much, Mima. I love everything you're doing. I also particularly enjoy talking about businesses that aren't just uh, make money online, internet marketing niche. You're an example of what's possible with real people in non-internet marketing mm. industries. Of course, if you're interested in stickers, head over to mimjenkinson.com. If you're interested in online marketing, then she has offered you a traffic checklist, which is great. If you want to have chats to me about a business like Mim's, then of course, I invite you to to join in my mentor program and get in on the fun. So Mim, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate you sharing all of this and to your continued inevitable success. Thank you, James. I appreciate you so much. I love our weekly calls and the group that you've gathered and curated. So thank you so much for having me today. Amazing. This is James Schramko.